0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. A podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of the podcast for the second anniversary week. My name is Kerry Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And a happy Sunday to you! This is our first ever Sunday release on the podcast, so going to keep this one a little bit shorter. I know most of you have had a really busy day volunteering at your church, serving there as staff, whatever. Totally get that, but hey, it's fun to be able to share this. And you know, as you know, if you've been listening along, uh, I thought I'd answer your questions. I mean, you guys are the reason we do this show, trying to bring you, you know, top quality church leaders, week in, week out. And you guys ask a lot of questions. You ask a lot of great questions. And one of the ways people leave questions for me is on my blog, CarrieNewhoff.com. You click on the Got a Question tab. You leave me a voicemail. And then every once in a while, it's been a while, uh, so we're catching up this week, uh, I answer them for you on the show. And uh, of course, from time to time, I try to jump on Facebook Live or other forms of social media to answer your questions. But man, they pile up, I'll tell you. We're not even going to get through all of them by the time we finish up tomorrow in preparation for the usual Tuesday show. But hey, we'll be back again at some point with them. So anyway, happy Sunday. So we're going to get to a few questions today. Let's start with one. From Pete, hey, Gary, love the show, love the podcast. I've been uh, listening for the last ten months now. Hey, I'm situated in a small Midwestern town of about three thousand souls and it's my first pastor. I've been here about two years and I've discovered that the church has had
1: quite a bit of a rocky relationship in the the past uh, five to ten years. and
0: I've wondered how does a church overcome its negative reputation or stigma in the community? Um, I'm trying to solve one of the problems by changing the decision-making model that's in place now. But other than uh, restructuring the church government, uh, any other ideas for you on how to uh, solve the reputation issues and stigma issues in a small town? Thanks. Hey, thanks so much for the question, and thanks for the encouragement. I, r- I really appreciate it. So, small town. I have a lot of small town listeners and first pastorate two years. Uh, Yeah, you know what? Sometimes what we inherit is not the best. And so, in a really small town like that, like 3,000 people, word gets around. And if your church has a bad reputation, how do you handle that? I would say you've just got to build trust. Like, whatever you can do, Pete, personally, to build trust. The good news is. You know, you are in a small town. The good news and the bad news are often the same thing. Good news, you're in a small town. Bad news, you're in a small town. So, you know, the good side of that and the bad side of that is that news travels fast. So you have an opportunity to actually be well-known. So for example, if, if you reach 30 people personally, then you know 1% of the town. If you know 100 people, uh, then you know 3% of the town. That's quite interesting. Uh, if you know 300 people, then you know 10% of the town. I mean, word gets around and that sort of thing. So what I would be really focused on if I was you was just building trust one by one. I mean, in every interaction, when you go to the grocery store, when you get your car repaired, I mean, just try to to really be as authentic and loving and uh, caring and honorable as you can. And then people will start to realize that. The other thing I would do is even in your church, though it's not a huge church, I would really focus on changing the culture of your senior leadership. So, you know, you can't change everybody, even I don't know how big your church is, 50, 100 people, let's say. It's kind of hard to try to impact 100 people even or 50. But if you've got five elders or you've got, you know, a couple of key volunteers in a small church just really focus on getting healthy with them. I always think healthy at the top, healthy at the bottom. And that may mean you have to do some tough surgery behind the scenes. I mean, maybe there's a bad apple in the elder bunch, or maybe there's, you know, some volunteers that need to move on or some key players, or I don't know whether you have staff, but if you have staff, maybe not all the people are are right for the future. Because clearly, uh, you know, it probably wasn't just the previous leader who created this bad reputation. So I would really focus on getting healthy. One of the things I love to do to establish team chemistry is like take people out for dinner, have them to your house, uh, have the elder board out of a meeting session, just bring them to your house, you know, fire up the barbecue and really build great relationships because when you're relationally and spiritually healthy at the top, that has a way of making the entire church healthy, no matter how small or how big it is. And you may have to stand down a few people, but that's really where I would start. The good news again, because it's a small town, is everybody kind of knows everybody. So you can actually change things pretty fast, Uh, rather than if you lived in a major city where it's like, oh, that church, but it might take years for the truth about the new day at that church to to reach the popular imagination, um, you have a chance to do it faster. So that's maybe how I would approach it. Okay, we're off to the next question. Again, a small church question and uh, a great great question as well, and one that a lot of you struggle with. So we'll hear it now.
1: Carol, I'm wondering if there's a time where God actually wants a church to fall, to free fall, um, when all of the uh, conditions seem to be ripe and we've been talking about it for maybe two generations uh, about where this church is going and that it's uh, well past its uh, life cycle and it has no renewal it's talked about but never any action taking like you suggest in this article i wonder if if that that you know i've struggled so much with fighting so hard to not allow it and maybe i'm i'm fighting a battle that God doesn't want me to fight. Maybe the church needs to die or, or people need to hurt in order to, um, in order to turn, in order to turn around and see what we've been saying. A uh, number of people are, are saying it partly through your uh, website. Thank you very much. But it doesn't seem to have any, any real uh, effect on, on leadership. And I'm wondering if that, if that is something God just wants to allow to happen. Uh, Thank you. I'd, I'd appreciate it. You're addressing that.
0: Well, thanks so much for that question. That one is a hard one. And it kind of cuts to the chase of like, when do you know you're fighting a losing battle? Because sometimes let's be honest, the battles are just not worth fighting. So are you there particularly as you indicate? And again, I don't have a lot of information, just what you shared in that voicemail. It really sounds like this could be generational. Like this is pretty deep. Yeah, people sometimes need to feel the consequences of their actions. But if this has been going on for a while, I mean, it could be that they're already feeling it or, you know, they they just need to have it pointed out to kind of realize, oh, we need to repent. Because, I mean, particularly if you look at the Old Testament, I mean, there's cases where the nation of Israel had gotten so off track and God still loves them. And then they, you know, a prophet would come along or there would be a moment in in the life of Israel where they kind of go, oh, we're the problem. You know, I would do what you could to try to get your church to that place where they look in the mirror and go, oh, it's us or, oh, this is sinful. And you can do that lovingly. Sometimes that's just pointing out the consequences. Like, guys, this isn't going anywhere. Like, look, look around you, like, wake up. Um, But then as to the other question that I think is maybe implied by your question, how do you know your church will never change? Well, let's say you try some things to bring to their attention that there's an issue, but you keep having the same conversation over and over again. Well, that's a sign your church will never change. I mean, if you keep having the same conversation over and over and over again, that's a problem. Um, Another thing to look for, is every time someone raises a new idea, someone lists three reasons it won't work, right? So you're like, hey, why don't we? And then they're like, oh, no, that won't work because blank, 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 blank. I love the story. I wrote about this in a blog post, Seven seven Signs Your Church Will Never Change on my blog. In 1876, Alexander Bell, who invented the telephone, was cash-strapped. He wanted to sell his new invention to Western Union for $100,000, and Western Union rejected it. And this was their report. They said, we do not see this device, the telephone, will ever be capable of sending recognizable speech over a distance of several hundred miles. Bell and Hubbard want to install one of their telephone devices in every city. The idea is idiotic on the face of it. Further, why would any person want to use this ungainly and impractical device when he can send a message to the telegraph officer and have a clear written message sent to any large city in the United States. Ignoring the obvious limitations of his device, which is hardly more than a toy, this device is of inherently no use to us. We do not recommend its purchase. That was Western Union 140 years ago about the telephone. There you go. Now, there are a lot of boards still like that. You you come up with a really good idea, and they're like, oh, no, that's so stupid. And this is why it won't work. So that's a sign that maybe, hey, the end is near. Uh, another thing would be fondness for the past, exceeding passion for the future. As, as it's said by other leaders, you know, when your memories exceed your dreams, you know, the end is near. So if your church is more has more affection for the past than for the future, that's a problem. Um, there are a couple of other signs as well you know, we've never done it that way before is basically theme song of your church. That's a sign that they're probably never going to change. And then I would really look at their heart for unchurched people. I mean, if the people in your church really don't care about the unchurched, well, that's a sign that it's kind of futile as well. So I can't make that assessment for you, but but looking for some of those signs, I, I think, you know, and praying about it and talking about it with people who actually... You know, know your situation and know you, you. You'll probably be able to figure that out. But yeah, there is a time to walk away. There is a time to shut it down. I'm the eternal optimist. I'm the eternal uh, person who 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 says, you know, hope. Hope is the path. But yeah, there are times where you need to shut it down and, and walk away. So maybe you're at that place. All right, on to the next question. Again, about a church of a hundred or so. So uh, we'll take a look at this one.
2: Hey, Carrie, I've got a great question for it. Uh, we're a church of around 100, and we're talking about merging with a church of around 50. Uh, could you give us some tips on how that would look, the dynamics and leadership structure? But not only that, uh, we're doctrinally the same, but they more operate on a board side of things, and we operate as a uh, from a lead pastor perspective. Um, working with a council. And so uh, we're just trying to figure out what's the best route to go and uh, so that we can uh, ultimately become one church um, and be a lot uh, larger in size numbers, but be able to have a greater impact in our city. And so I think this would be a great podcast conversation. And uh, my name is Joel Goodna from Brooks, Alberta, Canada. And so we're excited about your ministry. Uh, thanks very much for taking your time. God bless.
0: Okay, well, thanks so much. So a church merger. Yeah, this is really big. This is where you need to get like Jim Tomberlin or Rich Birch on the show and ask them because those guys are brilliant. Warren Bird, another guy. They've all been guests in my podcast. So uh, you can go back to previous episodes. In fact, I'll give you the episode numbers. How does that sound? So Rich Birch, who actually on this podcast didn't talk about it, but you should go check out unseminary.com, his blog. Uh, He was episode eight. We've got Warren Bird, who was episode 28. And we talked about high performing teams. But then I actually did drill down a lot with Jim Tomberlin on the whole issue of mergers and acquisitions and what that looks like. So go back to episode 43 and have a good listen to that because he'll give you a much better answer than I can in just a few minutes here. But I'm going to tell you about a merger that we did and some of the conditions that really helped. Now, things have changed a little bit. That was 15 years ago. But I started at three very small churches, and uh, they were very small. They grew to the point where adding all three together, they were in like 100-year-old buildings. We probably had about 150 on a Sunday morning, up from about 40. That's within the first four or five years. Maybe it was pushing 200. And I cast the vision for amalgamation, for merger. And the reason we would merge is they were about five minutes apart. There was no reason to have three separate locations at this point because, you know, they were really small churches. They were centuries old buildings that needed a lot of maintenance and repair. Um, but what I knew about the research at the time is that mergers that really moved one church to another building. At that time, and again, Jim would have much more current research. Rarely exceeded the attendance of the larger church. So let's say our, our largest church had a hundred of those people attending on a Sunday morning. If you put all three together in that building, you would still you would think, oh, well, all of a sudden there'll be one hundred and fifty or two hundred. No, because people don't have a sense of identity. They're like, oh, we amalgamated with them, but this isn't really our church, and so statistically, a lot of those churches, they just don't do very well. And they sort of shrink back to the size of the largest of the amalgamating churches. So in your case, that would mean if you took 100 and added 50 to it, it may well shrink back down to 100 people because the 50 are like, well, we moved into that building. That's not really our building. Some of the people who were originally in the 100 don't like it and blah, blah, blah. And And the other thing I would say that's underneath that is a lot of people think, Well, you know, merger is really a preservation strategy. This is how we're going to preserve our church. Well, preservation doesn't really get you very far. We saw it as a growth strategy. So here's what we did. We sold all three buildings. We actually became portable. We created a new name. We knew it wasn't going to be like the new St. Andrews or the new Central or the new Guthrie, which were the names of the three churches. It was going to be a new one. So we happened to call it Trinity Church at the time. And so we created a new identity, a new name with a new mission on a new site. And basically everybody gave something up so that we started together. And then we grew very rapidly. We grew from like 150 or whatever to about 300 while we were in the school. Then we built a building and we grew to six or 700. But it was basically the old is gone, the new has come. That worked very well for us. And uh, to the limited extent that I study mergers these days, when I see those conditions happen, it goes really well. Or you see another church like yours uh, merge with a church of 50, but you take over their building and you use it as so you become a two-campus church and you use it as an outreach strategy. So I think if it's an amalgamation, a preservation, a conservation, that almost never goes well. But if it's an outreach, an advance, like an outward focus thing, it tends to go a lot better. So anyway, Joel, I really hope that helps. And hello to Alberta, Canada. Uh, Really appreciate the encouragement as well. So we're going to go to Brian now from Washington State.
2: Hey, Carrie, this is Brian Compton in Washington. I read your blog, The Secret to Actually Crushing your new year's resolutions you mentioned that there's a 10-day experimentation period with new stuff which i totally agree with i was just curious does this translate to churches is there have you seen a trend anywhere where people give an experimentation process to churches before they either connect or before they just kind of stay with stay with the church forever but don't necessarily get engaged just curious your thoughts on that Thanks for your work. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, Brian, that is a really fun question. Thank you so much for asking it. Yeah, I did. I think it was like a New Year's post that I did a little while ago that I just I just saw this pattern in my life that when I get a new device, so for example, if I got a new phone or a new car, one that's, that's significantly redesigned, there's all these buttons on it, all this technology on it that I don't know how to use, right? Because it's new. And what I find is the pattern i fall into into the first 10 days when i'm using new technology is the way i will use the technology for the rest of its lifespan because the human brain is hardwired to want familiarity so you take something that looks really complex something that looks really confusing like you know the dashboard of your new car and you're like okay i got to make sense of this i got to make sense of this so you know, by day 10, you've kind of made sense of it. And you really don't venture much beyond that pattern that you set. So what I try to do when I do this well, is I take time to really master the new technology. It's like when I got my new, I got a new car about six months ago, or at least new to me, it was three years old, but it was new to me. And like it had features that no other car I had before had. So for example, you could program how the doors would unlock or how they would lock based on um, your habits. And so I took the time to read the user manual, look it up online, and program all the doors so they work just the way I did. You know, do you want them to open when you put the car in park? or when you shut it off. I want the doors to open when I put the car in park. So I had to program it that way. Um, There's actually, we have garage door openers, and it's got one of those sentry features. I have not figured out how to use it. So I still have a clunky old garage door opener in a compartment there. But I've got to learn how to use it. But you know, I couldn't figure it out in the first 10 days. So I still haven't got that programmed. It had other things about like, how long do you want the headlights to be on? uh, That sort of thing. All of that I programmed in the first ten days because I knew if I didn't, I would just default to like the worst habits. So, or or the minimal. Like I bought all this technology, I might as well use it. So uh, I just say, you know, if you want a new pattern. Work on something for 10 days. So, for example, if you're heading into New Year's or a new season and you're not very good at doing your devotions or you miss them every other day, reprogram your day. Reset your alarm clock, you know, set it for 15 minutes earlier or have a cup of coffee before you do your devotions or eat before or after or change your routine. Hold it for 10 days and then away you go. So your question is, have you seen a trend where uh, people give an experimentation process to churches before they actually connect? I think the same principle applies to people who are new to your church. And the goal would be to get them to connect as soon as possible, because I'm not sure it's 10 days, but let's say it's 10 visits, If they're not connected within 10 visits, I think I've heard a stat, and I don't know whether it's just like made up or it's an actual statistic, but like if people don't connect in their first six weeks of attending your church, they probably won't connect. Like if they never go to the New Here kiosk, if they never go to the Next Steps kiosk, if they don't start asking questions, start to get involved in a group or express an interest in serving, then they're probably just not going to. And you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want people just thinking that being part of the church means sitting in the back with your arms crossed, not singing, listening to the sermon, and leaving. Like, people like that generally don't stick, or they never get engaged. And it's not that I want something from people. It's like, well, you better serve or you better give. It's just, I think when people serve, I think when people give, I think when people invite their friends, and I think when people get connected in a community group— their life is better. Like they, they have a better relationship with God. They, they begin to live for something bigger than themselves. Like I get excited about that. But if your pattern in the first six weeks or six months is just to sit in the back and do nothing, uh, that may be your pattern for a long time. So the question that I would ask, the question I would ask, Brian, is how can you get people to move forward? Like I'm not even sure we know this at Connexus, but like how long does it take the average person to connect? Well, could you accelerate that? Could you cut that time in half? And could you experiment like in the way you announce things, in the way that you process things um, so that it's easier for people to connect? So one of the changes very practically that we made a year ago was... Uh, you know, we used to have a welcome desk and you know what a welcome desk becomes, just this conglomeration for everything evil and everything, no, I'm kidding, but everything that people just, you know, want to put there. And it's not very clear or strategic. So we killed the welcome desk and we added a new here kiosk. And all we do there is welcome people who are new. And then we have a next steps kiosk. And the next step kiosk has sort of like concierges like you get at the Apple Genius Bar who know our model well, and they can have custom conversations with people to go, oh, Carrie, you're new here. Great, great, great. Well, tell me about your journey. What are you learning so far? Ah, okay. You new Christian? Like, is church new for you? Well, it kind of is. I haven't made a decision yet to follow Jesus. Oh, have you heard about starting point? Or let's say the answer is, yeah, I'm a Christian and I just got, you know, became a Christian a month ago and I'm really excited. Oh, have you been baptized yet? See, or maybe that's not. It's like, yeah, we came in from another church, another community. We want to get plugged in. Oh, are you part of a small group? See, so having that next steps kiosk, we can customize the response uh, based on the needs of the individual. So those are some ideas. And I think the principle there, first of all, learn all the features of your new devices. I think that's a good life tip. But secondly, try to get people engaged as quickly as possible and cut down, you know, you don't want people, you know, Attending week one and serving week two, that can be dangerous, 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 but you just want to accelerate the process. So you don't set the norm that basically you sit at the back with your arms folded and leave. No, that's not engaging the mission. All right. Thanks so much for that question. Now we're going to move on uh, to the final one for today, this Sunday edition of Ask Carrie.
1: Hi, I've been dealing with a lot of negative people in my work and uh, in my surroundings and I feel really burned out. I finished my MBA, and I feel I cannot go back to work. Um, people have become very cutthroat, and I don't seem to be able to handle things and just shake it off. Uh, if people are rude, uh, if somebody's trying to discredit you, or just being vindictive for no reason other than having control. I feel like I can't go back to work. So now I have an MBA and I am completely burned out. I can't handle people anymore. People in the work feel.
0: That's a that's a tough one. And I can hear the frustration in your voice and I can feel the disappointment and I can feel the despair. And hey, it's a good question for a Sunday because probably some of the listeners, if you're actually listening to this on a Sunday, you're like, "Yep, I went in with all this hope this morning and now here I am and... People are negative in the whole deal. I don't know you particularly well, and that was a short voicemail, but I just wonder whether you're struggling with burnout. Having burnt out, uh, I can relate to that. And if you're feeling like, you know, you're, you have sort of a, a more negative or dim view of people, uh, people have become, like, listen to the generalities in your voice. People have become very cutthroat you can't handle things, you can't shake it off, people are rude, vindictive for no reason, you can't go back to work, you can't handle people anymore even though you have an MBA, it just sounds like there might be something deeper that you might want to look at. Now, it may not be burnout, it might be depression, it might be an unresolved conflict from the past that unfortunately you keep dragging into the future. But like to me, I hear some warning signs in, that. in fact, you're saying everybody's negative, but I feel like you've got some negativity going on too. And I'm not saying that in a critical way, because I've been there. But I know when I start to think that everybody's negative, it's usually a sign in me that, that I've got something I need to work on. So... What do you do if you're burning out? What do you do if you're just in that place where you feel the world is not safe? So here's what I'd love for you to do. I would just love for you to tell a friend. I would I would love for you to get some help. Now, if you're not ready to call a doctor or to call a counselor, and I hope you would, just just tell a friend and and tell your friend. Maybe if you're listening right now, you know, the person who, who submitted this voicemail, or, or if you're in her shoes, if you're going, wow, this is my story too, before you turn this podcast off, would you just grab your phone, pull over to the side of the road or wherever you need to and just text a friend and go, hey, can we talk today? And then talk to your friend and just say, man, this is how I'm feeling and it's not going well. And then later today, call a doctor, call call a Christian counselor and say, hey, I need to drill down on this. And and maybe you're not convinced you're burning out or maybe you're not convinced that there's a problem, but like, just say, hey, would you help me drill down? and look, is there anything in my heart? Is there anything in my soul? Is there anything in my life that, that is not healthy? And if there's something that's not healthy there, well, then you can deal with it. And then you'll kind of have a level playing field to look at the world and, and go, okay, is it really as bad as I thought it was? Or, you know, at least you've got a level playing field now because you've dealt with any issues that are in your life. So that would be my recommendation. And I hope that helps. Well, all right, everybody, man. I am so thankful we got one more day of this. One more Ask Carrie coming your way tomorrow. And thank you to everybody who subscribed. Thanks for all the positive feedback on these bonus episodes that we've heard so far. Two days from now, it's going to be business as usual. And we've got our usual Tuesday podcast coming up. But uh, we're going to get to more of your questions tomorrow. So what are we going to cover tomorrow, we're going to really deal with how to scale a church. How do you go from a smaller to a larger church as your church grows? We got a question about pride, which was really interesting. You know, how do I deal with that as it comes up in my life? Uh, somebody else asked, what are the top five hindrances in leadership today? So I've got a list. We got another guy, Jonathan wanted to know. He's got a question about bivocational ministry and how does that all work? And then we've got a question about if you had a destination for everybody in ministry today, what would it be? Would it be small groups serving or, or what would that be? And then finally, what's a win on Sunday morning? look like. Now, if we got a little more time tomorrow, hey, we'll cover one or two more questions. But anyway, if you subscribe, you'll catch that automatically and we will be back tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening as we celebrate the second anniversary of this podcast by answering your questions. And I really hope this bonus episode of the podcast has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast.